Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a jam-packed episode. Two great guests, and as always, great analysis from our friend Ben Fennell. But before we get to Ben, we've got Pick 6, where we've got the debut of our brand new segment here with Greg Cosell. I'm going to sit down with Greg. We're going to go through six players that he has studied over the last couple of weeks and how they best transition to the NFL. You know how much I value Greg's opinion when it comes to not just the X's and O's, but also watching these college players and trying to project how they make that transition. We're going to talk through that uh, with Greg, and it's going to be a weekly segment here on the show. Hope you guys enjoy what we've got coming your way in Pick 6. After that, Ben Fennell and I in Draft Buzz, we're going to go through another mock draft. This time it's our buddy Dane Brugler's latest mock draft, which just dropped this morning, Thursday, hot off the presses, and it's got a bunch of trades, a bunch of fun picks. So Ben and I will break it all down. Which picks stood out most to us? Which ones shocked us? Which ones were a little bit outside the box? We'll cover all of that in Draft Buzz. Then we've got another segment here, new one we haven't run in a couple years, and it's called Unofficial Visit. Basically what I'm going to try and do, since I didn't get the same kind of access to these players that we usually get at the Shrine Bowl and at the Senior Bowl and even at the Combine, I'm going to try and see if I can set up some of these interviews, and we're only going to be able to get a couple over the course of draft season, but this week I'm happy to welcome onto the show potential first-round corner UCF's Aaron Robinson. We're going to talk uh, about just his skill set, some of his teammates, some of the toughest players he has faced, not just uh, during his career at UCF, but also even at the Senior Bowl. So we'll talk through that entire process with him. Excited uh, to welcome Aaron to the show. Like I said, I'm going to try and get a couple of those guys uh, over the course of the pre-draft process. I don't know if it'll be a weekly thing, but we'll try and mix them in as we get them. And we'll wrap things up on the show with our draft mailbag, where I'll take a couple of questions from you at home. Before we get things started, I wanted to remind you once again about jumping on to our Apple podcast page and leaving a rating, leaving a comment. I know you guys have got questions. We're starting to get some, you know, into some segments where we're stacking position players together, trying to replicate what teams are doing over the next few months. If you got questions about players, position groups, a mock draft, anything, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. We will answer it. If you've got a question, we'll answer it here on the podcast. That being said, let's get this show rolling. Let's start things off with Greg Cosell in Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. Well, excited to welcome back here to the Journey to the Draft podcast, my friend Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, welcome back to the show. First time here in uh, 2021. I know, Fran. Uh, unfortunately, uh, our Eagles season ended a little early, but uh, we're on to the draft. Can we you are. believe it? We are. And I can yeah, believe it. It's it's a little crazy. <laughs> I know you've been grinding away watching college players. I've started doing that, and it's uh, it's that time of year. Well, that's why uh, you are going to join us now on a weekly basis. And uh, in this segment, Pick 6, I'm going to pick six guys each week uh, that we'll kind of cover, and I will try and keep it thematic. So uh, today, we're going to cover a couple of running backs that I feel are kind of seen as close together. And that's kind of what I want to do is take two guys that are kind of in the same tier, break them down, talk about how they transition. And we can talk about the the similarities between the two. And also uh, some guys that you've watched at the same position that, you know, maybe people should be talking about more. And I want to start at the running back spot. And uh, the first player I want to hit on is one of everybody's favorite players. And that's Clemson running back, Travis Etienne. I know you've had a chance to study him, not just this year, but I think going back to last year as well. So I'm excited to kind of get your idea of how you feel he best transitions to the NFL. He's going to be an interesting transition, Fran, for this reason. 
He was never a volume back in college. We know that he brings explosive, explosive traits to the party. That always projects well to the league. We know that. I mean, he's a home run hitter. Yep. He can take it to the house on any play. He's got short area burst. He's got long speed. Um, that's always in demand. I thought this year in 2020, because I watched him in 2019 as well, I thought this year he was much improved in his ability to gain the hard yards inside. I thought he showed some better contact balance, some better finishing traits. Um, it made me think, quite honestly, of, of Dalvin Cook. I think stylistically they're similar. But Cook was a foundation back at Florida State. He's been a foundation back in the NFL. ATN has never been a true foundation back in terms of volume of carries. So while the skill set is absolutely there, I think teams have to decide what is he. Do they think of him like a cook and hope he can be that guy if you draft him, let's say, in the top 20? Or do you think of him more in the Alvin Kamara category? You know, maybe 175, 180 carries as a receiver. We saw him uh, detached from the formation. He's a very good receiver. He's improved in that area. Yep. So the question is, the traits are there because of the explosiveness. And that's, as I said, and you know this, always in demand. The question is, how will he be seen by teams as they, you know, go through their their draft discussions? Yeah, I, I'm. I agree with you that he definitely ran harder this year, and I thought his ability to kind of create his own yardage really improved going from 2019 to 2020, and, and that was a big sticking point for me overall in the evaluation. Was you know. I didn't know if he had that ability to consistently make that first man miss. He's kind of a, a long, like upright runner. He's not a, a shake you in the hole kind of consistent, you know, wiggle to in a phone right. booth to make that first man miss. And he's not a power runner either by that, you know, in terms of how we think of those guys. So in terms of being able to create his own yards, I had some of those questions and I do feel at the end of the day, his best runs draw counter get him going downhill in a very defined kind of uh you know the, here hey here here's your aiming point go and i feel like that's where he's at his best especially if you're able to get him up to out in space in the second level yeah and it's funny you say what you said about some of the things that concern you because i made a note that i thought he was a little straight line linear i thought he, that he had some stiffness in his hips and his core he's i wouldn't call him naturally shifty and elusive right um he's to me was much more kind of a velocity runner than a laterally agile make you miss runner. You know, his, his feet were always churning and, and he's explosive, but, you know, he wasn't one of those make you miss at the second and third level kind of runners. Um, but so to me, when all said and done, it's how is he seen yeah. by teams? There's no question he'll be drafted, I would think, in the first round simply because of the explosiveness and the fact that he's a receiver as well. Yeah. Um, now, he's not great in pass protection, and yeah. I think that's an area he needs work, but you can kind of fudge that a little bit with your protection schemes. You know, we know that. You sure. can do that in the NFL. Uh, and the fact that he is a receiver, uh, I think he had a 42-yarder that I remember seeing this year. He was detached from the formation uh, where he ran a double move. Um, so – He's a runner receiver with explosive traits that normally plays well in the NFL. How do you feel about like a Jamal Charles, uh, in like in terms of comparing him to, to wow. Jamal coming out? Is he a guy that you feel had a similar kind of skill set? Yeah, I think ATN is a little stockier and stouter in his Got build it. than okay. Charles. Charles was kind of uh, you know sinewy and lithe in his build, hmm. um, but I guess you could argue that the way they transition would be similar. Um, and I think that's the big question is how he transitions. 
Yep. You know, do people try to make him a foundation back, a running back one, so to speak, where he lines up and he's an 18 to 20 carry a, a, a week back? To be honest, I don't know the answer to that. He did not do that in college. So I want to ask you about another player that is also seen in first round mock drafts at times, and that's Alabama running back Najee Harris. Yeah, different kind of build for sure for ETN. How do you view uh, Najee Harris projecting to the NFL? I find him a fascinating study. <laughs> Me too. And it's funny. I watched him last summer from 2019, and truth be told, I did not like him very much. Mm. I thought this year there was significant improvement, meaningful improvement in terms of lateral quickness. I thought his hips were looser. Um, I thought he showed much better running traits than he did in 2019 when I thought he was just kind of a big back who ran hard but didn't have a whole lot of looseness to him. Now, I still think he runs a bit upright. He takes body shots. He takes a lot of contact during the game. Um, while he was looser, I, I still think there's some stiffness to him. Uh, he's not necessarily a true make-you-miss runner, but – the more I watched him, Fran, the more I kind of liked him. I mean, he's uh, he's a good back. You know, I, I think he'll be seen as a true feature back. The question I have is, will he be seen as a three-down back? He's a good receiver. Will people see him as a guy you keep on the field on third and nine? Yep. Um, he, he's got good hands. He made some tough catches. He ran multiple route co concepts in college and was effective. So will team see him as a three down back that could impact where he's drafted a better, a better blocker. Uh, I think than ETN at, at this point. Yes. Um, yep. And to me, the, the interesting part to your point, like I watched him over the summer and a name I wrote down and this wasn't, I wasn't saying this in a bad way, but I wrote down James Connor and that's right. kind of just in terms of stylistically, that's kind of how I saw him. And to your point this year, you just watch the highlight, just watch them on TV on a weekly basis. I mean, his feet just looked lighter. He moved so yep. much smoother this year. Uh, I'm excited to kind of complete my study on him, but it uh, looked like much more of a complete, per, you know, at an ideal three down back in, in that kind of sense of the word. Um, but it's going to be interesting just to see how these two guys, ETN and Harris, are kind of evaluated. I think for most people, they would say that those are the two top backs. Yeah. Uh, just a final point about Harris before yeah. we jump into another back that I really liked. Um, Harris is not a home run hitter. So I think even though that you could look at him and say, even if you think he's a three down back, he's not a home run hitter. He's kind of your, your classic sustaining grinder gets hard yards, but he's a contact runner in many ways. And I always wonder about that. I know he's 230 pounds. He looked lighter this year, but I guess that's what he weighed uh, somewhere along the line. I saw that he weighed 230. So yep. I think, yeah, I think that's what he is. But he just looked like he was built differently this year. And to your point, I made the note that he looked quicker with lighter feet. You made the same point. Yeah. Um, and he kind of grew on me. Um, I've seen people make comparisons to Matt Forte. I thought Matt Forte was just a smoother moving athlete overall. Um, I don't see Harris as truly smooth. I mean, there are times that he, he looked a little more like that this year than certainly in 2019 but I don't quite see that comparison. Is he smooth or is he big back smooth? Like that's like, it's like, Oh man, no, it's for, a great for, point. His size, for his, his size, he's smooth, but he's but not, that, that's, and that's right. kind of, I view it the same way. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. You, you know, I guess if you're comparing him to 225, 230 pound backs, maybe yes. But I think if you're just talking smooth overall, yeah. I don't think he quite fits that category. 
So you've been grinding through uh, guys, you know, really on a daily and nightly basis over the course of the last few weeks. I want to ask you, is there a running back that you've studied over that time span that you're like, man, like I haven't seen a lot written about this guy or a lot talked about this guy, but he really, really stood out to you? Well, yeah, there is. And I didn't see one second of him on TV this year. So I put him on simply because I saw him on a list as, as that's kind of the way I, I work. And I actually love it when a guy is, is virgin territory for me because I have no preconceived notion whatsoever. And that's Javante Williams from North Carolina. Mm. I loved his tape. I, I think you could make an argument and I'm not quite there yet. I just finished Harris before we started this. So I have to sort of collate all in my head, you know, how I feel about these guys. And you know me, I don't necessarily love to make lists, but I think you couldn't make an argument that Williams is a better runner than Harris. I think you Um, could too. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I thought he had size. He was cast a compact build, patience, vision, subtle lateral quickness and confined space, burst, speed, power, Contact balance, physicality, finishing toughness and competitiveness. I mean, I really like Javante Williams' tape. I mean, I I thought that he's definitely can be a running back one at the NFL level where he's your guy. Yeah, to me, I mean, you just checked so many boxes and you went through that whole list. I mean, the power, the vision, the balance, the body control, uh, really, really impressive. His ability to make that first man miss. He's good on third down, good in pass pro. Uh, Yeah, I was was a big fan uh, watching his film as well. So I really liked him. I mean, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, again, we don't know. So running backs, and again, you get into that argument again, Fran, of the value of running backs, Mm. you know, and that's an argument you could have forever. You know, there are people who believe that you should never draft a running back in the first round. Uh, Again, I I think, I guess to me, if you do a draft board and that's what teams do, I mean, you know, I don't necessarily do a draft board. I don't know if you do, but I think if you do a draft board and you are rating players, okay, based on your scouting staff, your GM, whoever does all that work, and teams spend a lot of time and resources doing this, you know, if you have Travis Etienne rated as your as the 12th best player on your board, you know, and then let's say you have the 17th pick in the draft and he's sitting there, do you say, well, I can't take Travis Etienne because he's a running back? Is, is that the approach you want to take? I don't know. Uh, I guess to me that seems a little silly, but I know there's a lot of people who believe that, people who you and I would view as smart and reasonable people. But, you know, I guess it depends on your offense. I mean, Travis Etienne is an example of a guy that can score on any play. Usually those guys are in demand no matter what position they play. No doubt. I think that uh, the way that you want to play offense, if you are uh, the Tennessee Titans and you don't have Derrick Henry, you're not just finding Derrick Henry on the, you know, on the weekly yard sale at some, on somebody's front lawn. Uh, you've got to be able to go and find that right. guy. Right. I mean, so it, it depends on what your approach is. You know, if you truly, you know, I guess the point is if you have Derrick Henry and he's there already, you know, and, and Mike Vrabel comes in, does he say, okay, here's who we have, so this is the way we're going to play. If you don't have Derrick Henry or a back along those lines, and there's not many of those guys, do you say, okay, we're not going to play that way. That's not the way to win in the NFL, so we're not going to go after a back like that. Right. And that gets to the Najee Harris discussion as to what what he is in the league. I mean, 
he certainly looks like the kind of guy you could give the ball to 20 times a game. You know, he's 230 pounds. He's powerful. He's, he's physical. He's competitive. He gets hard yards. You know, he looks like that guy. So is that guy of value in the NFL or do you not want to run your offense that way? Yeah. It's uh, the running back conversation. Always a fun one to have, and I'm sure we'll be having it uh, over the next few weeks as well. Uh, let's get to three more players that I wanted to hit on, and we're going to go now to the offensive tackle position. And I picked two guys that I feel are kind of in that same bucket, in the same range. And so I wanted to ask you first about Texas left tackle Sam Cosme. I know that you've studied him. You've studied uh, Sam Ellinger, some other players on yeah. that Texas offense. Uh, tell us what you saw from Cosme and how you feel he projects to the league. Yeah, he was a guy that I had to keep watching because, you know, when I initially started watching him and I think I watched uh, one, two, I watched five full games, Okay, you know, so complete games. So it wasn't just, oh, let's watch pass, let's watch run. I watched five complete games of Samuel Cosme, another guy I knew nothing about other than seeing him on a list. I did get from um, a scouting friend of mine his, his measurables because, you know, they do that. So uh, to me, he was much more overall of a finesse player than a power player but he wasn't he wasn't a weakling so to speak hmm. but i thought he had plus athleticism and movement traits um i think he needs to get a little stronger but i will say this even though i think he needs to get stronger he didn't get overrun by speed to power of the bull rush very often but there wasn't really to me a physical presence to his play um he didn't come across to me as powerful um and again i think he needs to be taught a number of things because uh, the the vertical set was not really part of what he did. And I think the kick slide and the vertical set is something he probably needs to be taught. But I think he's got tools. He's got traits. Um, I think he'll be a quality starting offensive tackle in the NFL at some point. Yeah, that's honestly like watching him. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. You know, you don't see uh, a power player. You see a guy that still needs work uh, with his hands and with the timing of his sets. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like you watch him, you're like, all right, in terms of just the the sum of his parts, I think he's a starting tackle. And you look around the league, and I think there are a lot of players that you're like, yeah, I'm not really wowed with this guy, but he's been a starting tackle in the league for multiple years. And that honestly, the the comp I landed on was another player I felt kind of similarly about, and that was Taylor Decker when he came out of Ohio yeah. State. And I think that he and Cosme are very, very similar. And Decker's been a starter for Detroit for a handful of years now, really, since he came into the league. Well, you know, I think the one thing that stands out is the athletic traits. Yep. Now, I think he needs some work. As I said, he's he was not a vertical setter. That can be taught. You know, and one thing I've learned, and, and you and I both know Duke Mannyweather, you know, pretty well, who's an offensive line sure. guru and one of the best out there. And so what I try to do when I watch guys is I try to get a sense in my mind, and, and believe me, I'm, I don't fancy myself an offensive line expert, but I, I've learned from a lot of people. So I try to apply that learning when I watch. Sure. I think you try to figure out what can be taught, what can be coached. And most things can be. And I think you hit on a few things. Uh, well, besides the vertical set, which I mentioned, you talked about the hand usage. I thought that he was a little late at times with his hands. Guy, guys got into him and he's not a power guy. So I think, you know, that's something that can be taught and coached. But when you see that kind of pure athletic movement, I think guys, coaches get excited. They can work with that. Mm. So to me, he's a tackle. And you can't, we, we so get caught up, all of us, in the idea that, oh, you know, if a guy's not great at tackle, then he's a guard. Well, you know, you still have to line up with 64 tackles every week in the NFL. 
and and not everyone is going to be a sweet looking athlete with you know with cool feet i mean it just doesn't work that way so you know this thing about oh everybody's a guard because they don't look pretty at tackle you know there's not a hundred joe thomases I mean, I'm just like you know. looking at a I mean, you look at like Bobby Massey, who started a bunch of games, Brian, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, Big V, Halapulavati Vitae, Jack Conklin doesn't always look pretty. Marcus Cannon in New England, you know, Orlando Brown, Sam Tevy for the Chargers has started a bunch of games. Kelvin Beecham for years and years has started in the NFL. Charles Leno out in Chicago. I mean, there's all kinds of guys that you're looking at. You're like, yeah, like doesn't look the way that you would uh, try yeah. It's not right out of central casting for the left tackle position, but the well, guys played a lot let's of Let's throw out a name here. You know, let's, before we get to another name, I know you wanted to mention, let me throw out another game. You just threw out Jack Conklin. Okay. Sure. Now Jack Conklin, again, I was caught up when he came out of Michigan state. I thought he was better suited to play guard, but he got drafted in the top 10 because it became team and steam scheme specific. He was drafted by Tennessee when Mike Malarkey was the head coach, I believe. They were going to run the football. So he played tackle. Okay. He did a nice job for a couple of years. They ran the ball. They have Derrick Henry. Then he got, uh, now he's with Cleveland. Same concept. Their foundational approach is the run game. Okay. Obviously they throw it, but the run game is the foundational approach. There was a player I watched on tape uh, and I watched him recently. So he's fresh in my mind who I kind of liked a lot. And I thought of him in a similar way to Jack Conklin, and that's Jackson Carmen from Clemson. And I don't know if you've done him yet. Sure, um, I have. You have? I have, yep. Yeah. Now, he's not a sweet athlete by any stretch, okay? But I think a lot of people will look at him and say, oh, he's a guard. Now, maybe he is. I'm not saying he is or he isn't. But I'm just saying that it's so easy to say that. I think that's a cop-out at times because you look at Jackson Carmen. And I think he's a tackle personally, by the way, but you can look at him and go, wow, he's not super light on his feet. He doesn't seem to have really loose, smooth hips, but you know what? He didn't get beat very much in pass protection. Um, I thought he did overall a pretty solid job in pass pro. He's a physical, tenacious, competitive run blocker. As you know, you studied him and you know, it's easy to look at a guy like that and say he's a guard, but you know what? You got to line people up at tackle too. Right. Uh, it's a, it's always a, a fun conversation for sure when you're talking about, especially with people that know the game or know the position more than you and I do in terms of right. uh, you know what works and what what traits matter most. And you know there are got plenty of guys like that playing a lot of quality football, a lot of a lot of snaps in the league on a yeah. weekly basis. Let's just go back real quick. You know the player you're familiar with because he was in Philadelphia. Dennis Kelly's been the starter at right tackle right. for the last two years for the Tennessee Titans, and you know what? He's done a pretty solid job yep. because of the way they play offense. You know, Dennis Kelly, probably you don't want him as your right tackle if you're going to run a Mike Martz offense with deep drops, five out, and you're asking your your tackles to block one-on-one on an island when your quarterback is going to hold the ball for 2.6, 2.8 seconds. But if you're not going to do that, and not that many teams in today's NFL do that, Fran, as you know. Right. So, you know, it's it's always easy to say a guy should be a guard or a guy isn't a starter, but the league is not like that. No question. So let me ask you about another tackle that uh, that I've done, and we've talked about a decent amount on this show over the last couple of months. Uh, I know I'm a fan. Ben Fennell's a fan. Um, Liam Eikenberg uh, yep. from Notre Dame. I, I'd love to ask you about Eikenberg and how you view his transition to the NFL. I liked him. I watched six full games. I thought he was a strong prospect. I think he's a solid starting left tackle early in his career. He was so consistent with his efficiency of execution, both as a run blocker and a pass protector. Um, I think he's a little more finesse than, than power, but I thought he did generate movement and leverage as a run blocker. 
I thought his fundamentals, again, based on people I've spoken to through many years of doing this, I thought his fundamentals were really clean as far as his footwork, his balance, his hand usage. He was just smoothly efficient. Um, you know, again, you can get caught up. Is he a great athlete, like a high-level athlete? Probably not. Um, he just, to me, was so methodical and measured and fundamentally sound. And I, I just really liked his tape quite a bit. Yeah, there there were a lot of times watching. I'm like, yeah, like this is this is what a starting tackle looks like in the NFL. This is what a, yep. a solid starting tackle uh, looks like, and I felt that way a lot while watching Liam Eikenberg. So, uh, with that in mind, how do you kind of compare those two? Are there kind of similarities between Cosby and Eikenberg, or um, how do you see the differences between those two players? I guess I would say this. I, I think that Cosby's athleticism ceiling is higher, but Eikenberg is a better player now. Got it. Um, much more efficient in his fundamental execution. Um, so now I guess it comes down to how an offensive line coach would see it, how a team would see it. You might look at Cosby and say, okay, he might have some issues because we've got to coach him up on some things, but maybe a year or two or three down the road, because he's, I think, a little more purely athletic than than Eichenberg, you might think, hey, Cosme can be that guy. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think Eichenberg, you can, he can step right in and start for you, and you're fine. And he'll be a really solid NFL left tackle. You know, I don't get caught up in, oh, he's an all-pro, he's a this and that. You know, you could, to me, you could line Eichenberg up now, and he can start for you a tackle. So I'm going to ask you the same question for these guys that I asked you for the running backs. Is there a, an offensive tackle, namely a left tackle, uh, that you've studied over the last couple of weeks that has kind of caught your eye and like, oh, I, I didn't know much about this guy, but he really, really impressed me on film? Well, I knew a lot about this guy, and and I've watched so much of him uh, because of, of who he played for that I, I really like him, and that's Alex Leatherwood. Got it. Um, I think Leatherwood, to me, and again, he played guard two years ago. He's played tackle the last two years since uh, Jonah Williams left. Uh, he's played left tackle. You know, I guarantee there'll be some people who are going to give you he's a guard. Um, to me, he's a tackle. He's 6'5". He's over 3'10". He's got long arms. Um, I think he's presents a desirable combination of size and mass more than far more than functional movement that can be developed further. Um, is he an elite athlete like a Laramie Tunsil? No. But I think he possesses enough movement. Um, he's strong. He's a really powerful run blocker. Um, I thought he had a very comfortable vertical pass set because they did a lot of that at Alabama. Um, I thought his hands were always ready to strike. Was he beaten uh, you know, to the edge sometimes? Yes, he was because he's a little stiff. Um, sometimes he would open his hips. Again, I think all these things can be dealt with, but he's a player that, you know, I think, and we know he was a big, big time recruit. I think he came out of Florida, um, the state of Florida. He was a big, big time recruit. And I, I really think he's going to be a good player. Yeah, he's a guy that we've talked about a lot. And, uh, you know, I think when you talk about that, have that conversation about, oh, is he a tackle? Is he a guard? He's exactly the kind of player that uh, that you're talking about because not everybody is going to view him, uh, you know, oh, this guy's a pure franchise left tackle. But at the end of the day, as you said, he's played a ton of football and winning football. Uh, at a left tackle. Really good team, I mean, by the way. The, yeah. 
Yeah, he played the last two years at left tackle. You know, I remember watching the Georgia game this year, and I don't know if you watched that game because of their pass rush, who I haven't gotten to yet, but I, I watched the game from Alabama's perspective. I just, right. you know, I wasn't studying the – I'll get to the Georgia pass rusher as a separate player. Yep. But I just took note of, of Leatherwood snaps against the, the pass rusher because I, I knew who he was. He did fine. He had no problems at all with the Georgia pass rusher. You know, to me, Leatherwood can play left tackle in the NFL. Now, whether – I'm sure there will be people who disagree, and that's okay. But, again, like I said, you know, there's, there's 64 starting tackles in the NFL. And right. I think Leatherwood's going to be one of them. Well, Greg, we've covered six players here this week. Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, Javante Williams, Sam Cosby, Liam Eikenberg, Alex Leatherwood. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We'll be back uh, later next, uh, next week. We'll talk about six more guys. Thanks, Fran. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Greg. Let's now move into our mock draft roundup here in Draft Buzz as I welcome in uh, Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, we're going to break down and kind of rip apart our friend uh, Dane Brugler's latest mock draft, which went live on The Athletic earlier today, Thursday. Uh, excited to kind of rip into this with you. Yeah, I know Dane. Uh, you know, he, he's been known to do some draft coverage here and there. Interested to see what he's been doing, you know, for the past couple of months and uh, to see if uh, this mock's going to be correct or not. Yeah, we don't we don't have a feeling on any of his you know thoughts on prospects at all. So excited to get, you know, just a, a new voice here on the show. Now, you know, we, we always love going into Dane's mock drafts. And once uh, we knew that he was putting a new one out, we said, all right, we got to break this one down for the podcast this week. And uh, let's start things off with our favorite pick of the draft. I will uh, let you kick things off. What was your favorite pick uh, in Dane's round one mock? Well, I'm going to slide all the way down here to the 18th overall pick, which initially was the Miami Dolphins. He had a trade here with the Pittsburgh Steelers that I absolutely love. And he plugged in Virginia Tech big left tackle Christian Derisaw to be the future left tackle of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Derisaw is a type of tackle that won't be for every scheme. Bit of a vertical displacement guy, more of a mauler, not necessarily one to be used in space. And that's how Pittsburgh likes their offensive alignment. More the bigger types, the burly types, the vertical displacement types. And I just can see that style of player, that ACC tackle and some bad weather games fitting in perfectly with that AFC North. Yeah, I think that that's a great fit. When you look at the way that Darishaw plays, you're like, yeah, that is that is that kind of style. And people might say like, oh, that's kind of cherry picking. No, like that's a real thing. You, you watch a guy and he, if you can visualize him being a stealer, you can visualize him being a Raven like that. Guess what? That, there's a reason for that. You know, and I think that that, that certainly uh, is something that it I'm was the one I kind of went up and down. It was like, oh, that's a great fit right there. Yeah. You can just kind of visualize that you feel it. And then when you pull back the curtain a little bit more that they're going to need a tackle with Andre Villanueva hitting free agency as Dane details, you just kind of see that fit and that style of tackle fitting for that scheme. So you went with the 18th pick. I went with the 16th pick. My favorite was uh, Aziz Ojolari, the pass rusher from Georgia, uh, going to the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, yeah, they've got Chandler Jones. He is coming off of an injury uh, and is entering a contract year, as Dane alluded to. And Hassan Reddick is about to hit the free agent market. So uh, they're going to need some pass rush help off the edge regardless. And obviously Ojolari, I mean, I waxed poetic about him earlier this week. I'm a big fan of him. I know you're a big fan. I know Dane's a big fan. Uh, seeing him go as the first pass rusher or one of the first pass rushers off the board uh, makes a lot of sense. And I love the fit there in Arizona in a 3-4 scheme. Uh, a guy that certainly uh, can be present moving forward, you know, getting after the quarterback, but can also set the edge and drop back in coverage. And remember, Vance Joseph, the defense a coordinator there. He was in Denver when they already had Von Miller 
and they drafted Bradley Chubb. You know, he's he's all for getting as much talent off the edge as possible. So uh, you get Chandler Jones, you get Aziz Ojolari. That's uh, you're, you're rolling with those two guys coming off both edges. They're going to need some more cornerstone pieces on the defensive side of the ball for the next couple of years. They're going to have a huge turnover this year, as you already alluded to, Hassan Reddick. But other guys, Patrick Peterson, Drake Kirkpatrick, Devondre Campbell, Corey Peters, a lot of free agents. And it seems like they're going to kind of hit a new era on that defensive side of the ball. We paid Buda Baker. We love him. I think Jordan Hicks is going to be a nice player. Yep. Byron Murphy, nice player. Yep. Who else are we adding to the fire to be a future stud and a pillar of the defense? I think that would be a great pick and learn some from Chandler Jones before he gets out of there. Yeah, and obviously you're hoping for the, the next step from Isaiah Simmons as well. I mean, they've got some pieces on the back seven. Now it's trying to add some more teeth to that rush. Uh, both of us picked two players that went outside the top 10 here, but I want to start now with the next question here. The pick outside the top 10 that made the most sense to us. We're like, yeah, you know what? I could see that, and I could see what the reasoning is behind that, that we like the fit. Uh, I'll let you go first here. We've already hit on two of these, but uh, let's go over two more. And as I peep down the rundown here, I think we're going to have a similar style of picks here, and I'm glad right. we didn't pick the same player. But I'm going to go with Micah Parsons to the New England Patriots. Mm. You know, kind of a consensus top 10 pick. Seems to be sliding to the middle of the first round now as some of the tackles, receivers, quarterbacks are getting pushed up. But Micah Parsons just fits that Belichick style of hybrid outside linebacker defensive end, whether it's the Dante Hightowers of the world or the Jamie Collins of the world. We've seen it time and time again through that scheme. And obviously that scheme has bled a little bit into Detroit with Matt Patricia, no longer there. And Brian Flores down in Miami, but he just seems like that style of player, that style of defensive scheme fit. And, you know, it's no secret. New England needs some help on the second level of the defense. They need some pass rush juice. And that's Micah Parsons to a T. So I went same position. I went linebacker and you alluded to that Steelers trade earlier where uh, Pittsburgh trades up with Miami. They get Darishaw. Well, when the Dolphins trade back at 24 overall, the original Steelers slot, they take Zaven Collins, the linebacker out of Tulsa. And uh, Dane actually put it in the blurb in the mock draft in terms of scheme fit. Collins in Brian Flores' defense is one of the most logical projections in this mock draft. And I agree. I, I think when you look at Collins, he fits that scheme like a glove because of all the different things that he can do, all the places that he can line up and affect the game. Uh, I think he's a really, really intriguing player. And to me, the kind of the style of scheme that best fits him, that best caters to his skill set is from that kind of Belichick tree, you know, and there's only a couple of those defenses now uh, wandering around the NFL. You look at, at obviously new England uh, with bill Belichick. And then you look at Miami right now. Uh, those are the only two, as far as I can remember are right off the top of my head. Right. I don't think there's any other uh, defenses that are purely running uh, that style of scheme. Um, so I, I'm looking at Miami. I'm looking at new England as the two best fits for Zayvon Collins. Now it doesn't mean that he can't fit anywhere else, but in terms of the team where I feel he could get the most, that could get the most out of him and where he will be valued, where he will be a prized addition. Most those, are the two schemes that makes make the most sense in my mind. And Fran, let's just talk about it while we're here. That's Michael Parsons going 15th overall. Zayvon Collins going 24th overall. Are these players this much closer than we may have thought earlier in the process? Michael Parsons consensus top five pick Zayvon Collins one of the risers and the darlings of the college football season. And suddenly as we're getting closer to draft time in the mocks, these guys are finding themselves pretty close together on the board. And as we just talk through their scheme fit, their projection, kind of similar style outside linebacker hybrid defensive ends that will probably get used in a similar fashion. Both massive players, 
oversized linebackers, explosive athleticism in those oversized frames, they might be a lot closer than I think I may have given credit for. Let me ask you a question. Cause I agree. I think that, I think they are close in your mind when you, cause you watch, you watch the NFL all, all year round and you're studying the film. You're, you're, and we talk about players on a weekly basis on this show and on uh, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. When you're looking at three down linebackers and we've covered this on the under the hood segment during the season, what's more valuable in your mind? Is it a guy that on third down can be used as a rusher or is it a guy on third down that can be a great coverage player? Still a three-down player, but essentially it's like, do you want Fred Warner, Bobby Wagner, or do you want Anthony Barr? You know what I mean? Like, do you want the guy that on third down we're going to be using him as part of our rush package at Demario Davis, or it's going to be a three-down guy that we know can play in space and not be a liability and really help our back seven? You know, and there's so many different ways to peel that back because you could go the Devin White route, yeah, who became a great pass rusher this year. But it's almost like they learned on the fly last year. He wasn't great in coverage on third down. So it's putting him in better positions to be successful. I think the main thing is not asking squares to do round jobs Hmm. and not thinking this linebacker can do everything for you. Find out what they do well, put them in a position to be successful and don't ask them to, you know, zig when you need somebody to zag, find someone that zags if that's what you need. Yeah. Uh, and the linebacker position is so interesting because what they do on third down is a huge, you know, uh, projection tool. It's a huge, you know, aspect of their role. It's a huge aspect of what type of player they're going to be at the next level. So finding that use on third down, are you a blitzer? Are you a QB spy? Are you just a zone drop guy? Can you match up in man coverage? Can you do multiple things? Um, and I think, finding out what guys do well and don't do well is really the name of the game. No doubt. And it's so important when you're trying to pick players for a mock draft, understanding what teams are are looking for and how they fit uh, in that, you know, uh, in that projected system. Uh, Let's go to the next category here. Most outside the box picks. There's two ways you can kind of go with this. Either uh, one where you're like, man, like no one's really talking about, about that, but that really makes sense. Or, just maybe it doesn't quite make sense to you. You're like, man, I, I'm not sure what he's seeing here. Uh, I'll let you kind of take that for what you will. What, what your, what's your most outside-the-box selection here? Uh, well, this one gave box. me you know, a little bit of a, the most head-scratch going up and down the mock here. Not only for the player choice, but the fact they traded up for this player choice. And that's the Buffalo Bills coming up from the 30th spot to the 21st spot with a trade with the Indianapolis Colts to take big press corner J.C. Horn from South Carolina. Sean McDermott, primarily a zone scheme defense, loves some bigger, more physical corners. He certainly fits that profile. But I thought he had much more of a pedigree to be a press man, bump and run type of corner, which they don't really play a whole lot uh, in Buffalo. So while he can be that force player for you, he's going to come up and run support, be a good tackler, be a good defensive player, uh, not just a cover guy. I kind of thought there might be a round two or round three zone corner that may fit that scheme a little bit better. Uh, whether that's maybe an Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State, who I just watched the other day, who I think is one of the most intriguing players in this class because he's undersized. He's not a great press man corner, but he's as good a zone corner as there is in this class. Sean McDermott might have a little bit of a relationship with Asante Samuel Sr. and yep. know exactly what type of pedigree and type of player his son might be bringing. So um, where Asante Samuel goes in the pecking order right now, I'm not sure. I think second round is more than an appropriate ballpark. Mm-hmm. So the Bills to trade up to 21 to get a corner that I'm not so sure fits that scheme properly uh, was one of the more head-scratching ones on Dane's muck. 
interesting. Uh, I went with a, a one a connection that I was like, you know what? Like, I, I haven't seen this much. Maybe maybe it's out there, and I just haven't seen it that often. But I loved Alabama Mac, Alabama quarterback Mac Jones going to the New Orleans Saints uh, late in round one. I think to me, uh, you know, that's a, a point and shoot system. Uh, they look, they're already structured to fit a quarterback with that skill set. Where hey, drop back, rip it and rip it, let's go. Uh, I feel like that kind of caters to the way Mac Jones wants to play. He's a distributor. He's got great decision making, outstanding touch to all three areas. I think that he would make a lot of sense for the New Orleans Saints in that system. Now they got to go through all the other hoops in terms of off the field and everything like that. But uh, you know, in terms of figuring out if he's their guy from a skill set standpoint, I could see the fit. I could see the marriage there, uh, Mac Jones with New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's going to mirror some Drew Brees like qualities and kind of keep the same structural system and philosophical offensive approach and not have to move the launch point too much, not working quarterback runs, you know, still keep the basic framework of the offense. All right, let's go to our next one. Favorite connect the dots pick. And this was always my favorite category is like trying to figure out where's the connection here, where uh, whether it's a, a coaching staff with you know the, the college team that he comes from or the GM always picking from uh, this school or this kind of style of player. Uh, what was your, your favorite connect the dots pick here in this mock? Well, I'm going to go with kind of a historical trend pick and a pick that they made in the past that really worked out and I think is what's going to make them aggressive to take a similar style of player in the first round, this go around, and that's the Minnesota Vikings and Rick Spielman. A couple of years ago, they took this raw kind of unknown edge rusher out of LSU, Daniel Hunter, here in the middle of the first round, taking Gregory Rousseau out of Miami. Both early entries coming out, you know, uh, as underclassmen, both kind of raw coming out of college, both long, explosive, lean, great movements, great athletes. But I think they're still kind of working their way through what type of player they're going to be at the next level and still refining their technique, their game speed, their awareness, their FBI. Um, but I think the projection and development of Daniil Hunter since being that, what was he, a third-round pick uh, several I years ago? So, yeah. Yep. yeah, somewhere right in there, that middle of the graft. I think the way he's worked out, they can definitely project Rousseau into a similar, you know, kind of trajectory. And Rousseau might even have more tools coming out and more positionally versatile and maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit more explosive too. So uh, I think that past, you know, experience will give them a little bit more confidence to take another player that may not be fully developed yet. Yeah. I mean, you look back to Mike Zimmer's past too. I mean, he, in Cincinnati, who, who were some of the guys that he worked with? Carlos Dunlap, Michael Johnson, uh, the, the kid from uh, SMU, whose name is uh, Marcus Hunt. Marcus Hunt, thank you. Guys that were similar kinds of builds, right? Tall uh, oak trees off the edge that have these long limbs and, uh, you know, have that ability to kind of set the edge, but also uh, turn the corner. I think, you know, certainly Greg Rousseau fits that mind or that that mold there. Um, you know, if you guys haven't already at home heard the conversation we had on the blueprint earlier this week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, we had Arif Hassan on to talk about the Vikings. We talked about pass rushers and uh, the kinds of p- uh, players they typically trend towards. So, uh, look, the reason why we do this this year is because I feel like these relationships, these little connect the dots, they're always important. But this year in this draft with the lack of information and the uncertainty around all the different parts of the process from uh, the fall all the way up through the spring, I feel like those relationships are going to be leaned on more than ever. And to me, like you, know, you look at uh, the Baltimore Ravens at the end of the first round, taking Jalen Mayfield from Michigan it makes a lot of sense. John Harbaugh is going to get great information from his brother, Jim, uh, <laughs> on all these players that, that are coming from the Wolverines. And if Jim Harbaugh stands on the table for Jalen Mayfield, John Harbaugh is going to listen. He'll, tr- he'll trust that opinion. So, uh, you know, whether or not 
it's a good it's good information or bad information. You're going to get the right information from these sources. Uh, I like the idea there of Jalen Mayfield uh, going you know uh, to the Baltimore Ravens, and that comes on the heel of reports of uh, Orlando Brown uh, potentially requesting a trade. So uh, the tackle fit uh, certainly makes sense as well there for the Baltimore Ravens. Did you have a positional preference on Mayfield? There's still some uh, up in the air. I think he's kind of a similar next year player to a Rashawn Slater. You put them side by side, they have very similar body types, that lower half bubble, more people movers, good quickness off the ball, both being projected kind of as inside offensive linemen at the moment. Wasn't sure if you had a preference on where you would like to play him. I did feel like he could play a tackle. He's not a power player. And typically that's one of the things that people say, oh, you know, he'd be a good guard or a good center is like if he's not a, a powerful people mover and more of just a, a uh, you know, a stalemate player at the point of attack that, oh, you know, let's move him into guard. He's got, you know, he's he's got the tools to be able to survive inside. He's played left tackle and right tackle. Uh, we don't have confirmed measurements on him or anything yet, but I thought that he could play a tackle. I just think that, um, you know, the, the, he's not necessarily like a blue chip player, like top half of round one, but a guy that you can develop. He's still so young. I mean, he's going to be a 21 year old rookie. Um, so I think Jalen Mayfield, a guy, uh, I would still keep him a tackle uh, based off what I've seen so far. Um, all right, let's go to the next one here. There were a bunch of trades in this mock draft. One of my favorite parts about it. Uh, I believe there were five total trades. So uh, let's get into a couple of them. What was your favorite trade uh, from this mock draft? Yeah, five trades. And I think two of them were by the Miami Dolphins. Right. So they were uh, one of the more active teams. So let's go right after the Miami Dolphins here. First of all, moving from number three to eight, uh, getting out of that spot, allowing the Carolina Panthers to come up and get a quarterback. And that means they are able to still get Devonta Smith, Heisman Trophy winner at eight. They then get Zayvon Collins later in the draft. And then they come back in at the 13th hour for the 32nd overall pick, getting out of that spot, the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks, And the Miami gets Travis Etienne. So to walk out of that first round with three first-round players, Devontae Smith, Zayvon Collins, Travis Etienne, uh, I think that's an exciting haul of pretty proven players and guys that should be ready to go right, you know, uh, first thing in 2021. Yeah, I think that you know it makes a lot of sense for them in terms of being a trade-back partner for a team that's looking to move up to get a quarterback. And so the idea of, hey, we're going to trade out of three, we're going to go all in with Tua, let's surround him with talent, but still pick up some more picks. And so uh, you get that ammunition. Not only do you get Devontae Smith in the trade back because he's in every mock draft uh, going to the Dolphins right now at three, but then you're also able to get more picks and get more players uh, to surround Tua. So I think that that's a a really smart move in terms of trading back there uh, out of the top five. For me, it was the team that partnered with the Dolphins to move up. I love the Panthers' idea of trading up for a quarterback. You don't know how those quarterbacks are going to go off the board in the in the meat of that top 10. Um, so be aggressive. We already know that there's all these reports that the Panthers were trying to be aggressive in terms of getting uh, uh, Matthew Stafford from the Detroit Lions. So I think when you, you know this is a team that's looking for their guy, go up and try and get Justin Fields. I've talked about it in the past. We want to try and connect the dots. Matt Rule was on the same staff as Ryan Day uh, and myself at Temple uh, back in 2006. Um, and you know, look, he's going to get those, that information, right? We just talked about that uh, with the Harbaugh uh, connection. We, you're always looking for those guys that are able to get the best information possible. Matt Rule has a relationship with Ryan Day. We know Ryan Day feels strongly about Justin Fields. If he gets that right info, hey, he's going to make go up and make that move. So I do like uh, that connection there with the Panthers moving up for Justin Fields. Yeah, it's a great pick right there. And it's just a matter of who the Panthers are really coveting uh, with that third overall pick. And Dane's mock, you obviously have uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson going 1-2. 
might not be settled yet who they would really cover at number three there, whether it's going to be Trey Lance, whether it's going to be a Justin Fields, whether it could be a, you know, a Mac Jones for all we know, or something like that. I think this draft is going to have more than a few trades and more than a few surprising picks. So let's get to our, uh, like I said, there was a bunch of trades in here. So we talked about our favorite trades. Let's talk about our least favorite. What was the, what was the trade that kind of shocked you uh, in terms of uh, one team and what they did, whether it was moving up or moving back? Well, Dane, this crafty one, he worked in a current player trade as well. Did you notice that one in there? I did. I did see that one. Interesting. Interesting. I love mixing this in there. You don't see this too often. Number 12, the Jets receiving the 12th overall pick, the Niners getting the 23rd pick, but the Niners also getting Sam Darnold in that trade. So I love the Niners addressing and upgrading that quarterback position, whether they keep Jimmy G or not. I think Sam Darnold in there is a really interesting fit, a guy that I would love to see in a play-action boot scheme, good athleticism, good thrower on the move. But the interesting thing is what they did with that 23rd overall pick, and they took Quiddy Pay out of Michigan, explosive edge rusher, but I just had more concerns on this roster. I like their defensive line with Bosa, with Kinlaw, Arik Armstead, D Ford's under contract for a couple more years. And then to readdress the defensive line, go over to this offensive side of the ball friend, Kyle Shanahan. We know we want to run the ball. Do not neglect the offensive line. And on paper right now, and looking back on that 2020 season, I have major concerns on this offensive line. I think they need to keep adding resources to the O-line, the scheme works, the weapons work. Let's get the quarterback in here and Sam Darnold, but don't neglect the offensive line. I mean, right now they have Justin School, Weston Richburg, Lakin Tomlinson, McGlinchey at right tackle, and not much after that. And a lot of those positions can be upgraded, whether you want to get a tackle to move in a guard, an interior lineman, somebody like that. I just thought there was more uh, needs on the offensive side of the ball, particularly in the trenches. Yeah, uh, I think that that's certainly an interesting pick trying to figure it out. And plus, uh, that is a wide nine team to keep in mind uh, when you look at, uh, you know, that coaching staff and uh, that defensive line coach. That, he comes from that Jim Schwartz uh, tree. So I, I don't know if Quiddy Pay is quite that guy. I don't know if, if you would agree with that. I don't know if he's, uh, you know, that guy off the edge um, that you're looking for typically uh, in that system. Listen, I think Quiddy Pay is a great player. I'm going to yeah. be fine with him, I think, in any scheme for him. Okay. I think I could play him in 4-3. I could play him as a stand-up. I'll be fine with him. I'll figure it out. It's just a matter of where does he get drafted? What type of draft capital? What other needs are you maybe omitting to get him? I just think the Niners and the way the NFL is going, the way this system has gone with Kyle Shanahan, you got to keep putting coals into the fire in the trenches there if you want it to be a foundational scheme through the run game. Uh, my my only beef was the Dolphins trading back up for a running back, you know, whether, whether it's ETN, you know, whoever they would t- tra- trading up for a running back, I think would be interesting. I know that everybody wants to try and pair get you know get uh get to a running back. Obviously, they, they need one. I'm not saying that they don't, but I would be surprised if they poured multiple assets into trading up uh for a back. I don't know if you, if you feel differently about that. That, that yeah, that's fair. But bit. you have to also look at like they traded 36 to go to 32. Sure. What were they afraid of in those five picks? Were they afraid the Bucs were going to take that ETN? Could you maybe have gotten ETN at 36 there? And that's the cat and mouse of the draft and trying to read these teams in front of you and making sure they don't take that guy you really covet. So if the Dolphins are a all-in on ETN, we have to go get this guy. We've seen that year after year after year, particularly the back end of round one and even in the, to some of those early picks in round two going to get that guy that they want. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, – and he admit, actually alluded to that. He was saying, look, there was a bunch of teams the early part of round two that could you know, try and jump at ETN. So uh, they went and, and went and got their guy and even thrown in a little bit of info. He said the, the Dolphins are high uh, on Travis ETN. So uh, something to keep an eye on here uh, moving forward throughout the rest of the process. Last thing before we uh, get this go, we went through, what, 12 picks here uh, or so, 12 selections. Let's go to one more. Uh, the Eagles selection at number six. The Eagles take LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. Here is the blurb here from Dane. Uh, he wrote, with the uncertainty of the organization's quarterback situation, the Eagles are another team that might be in the mix for a top 10 quarterback. But in this scenario, Howie Roseman and the front office decide to build up the roster, adding a three-level threat like Jamar Chase, who can be a legitimate number one receiver in any offense. Chase is going to be, uh, this is me speaking now, not Dane. Uh, Chase is going to be one of the more popular players mocked to the Eagles. We talked about it. That was in last week's mock draft that we did. Uh, I'm sure that he will be mocked to the Eagles in a lot of mock drafts moving forward uh, as well. I don't know, Ben, if we've got any other thoughts to add on uh, the Jamar Chase fit uh, here in Philadelphia. I just like, I think he's going to fit in in Philadelphia, like the city, the town, the offense, his style. This is a physical alpha yep. type of receiver. And as much as we're excited about him, you know, maybe beasting some smaller corners and making people miss after the catch. I see him really being the dog in the run game, the dog on the perimeter blocking, doing the dirty work stuff. And I think there's been a little bit of that missing in this offense for a couple of years. When you look at Sirianni, some of those skilled players from the Colts, what are some of those things we love? Just the toughness, the physicality. And believe me, they don't need to have the ball in their hands to show it. And I think that's something Jamar Chase has really done well uh, at LSU and one of the more physical, violent, alpha receivers in the draft. I just think he's going to fit in. The fans are really going to like that style. I think so. Uh, he's certainly one of my favorite players uh, in this draft. A lot of really talented players uh, in this class and chase uh, certainly one of the guys at the top of this list. So uh, for the more on this mock draft, make sure you go check it out uh, over at the athletic Dane, always doing uh, great work in this mock draft. Uh, no different Ben. This was fun. Uh, we'll be back with you early next week. Me, you, and Dane. We'll uh, we'll chop it up. We, we got uh, Trevor Lawrence's pro day uh, at the end of this week. We'll talk through that. We'll, uh, we'll have plenty to hit on with you uh, later next week on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. The unofficial visit. Well, excited to be joined by former UCF corner Aaron Robinson. Aaron, thanks for joining me, man. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. So let's get into your on the field and get into your skill set. For fans who have not watched you play, give us a, a quick scouting report of what they can expect to see from you on the field. Um, you know, physical guy, physical DB for sure. Uh, you know, loves loves to put a hat on the ball and um, you know, uh, versatile. That's pretty much it. Everything else speaks for itself. For somebody that had never seen you play, and you can go through your whole career and say, "All right, there's." One play that I want you to watch first. Like this is my this was uh, my favorite play. I always think of this, or you feel like best represents what you bring to the field. Is there one play in particular that uh, you feel stands out above the rest? Not really a specific play. Um, you know, if you if you want if you want a game, I I'd probably give you a game. Sure. Houston, twenty nineteen. Uh, you know, Temple, even Stanford. Um, you know, those those games are, are some pretty good games. What was it that that stood out about that game against Houston? You know, pretty much taking on that, that best guy. You know, I had the opportunity to uh, follow him, you know, pretty much the entire game, that 2019 season. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, contributed a lot to that that game to help my team come up with that one. 
So we talked with your uh, position coach, with uh, Coach Martinez, a few weeks ago, and he talked about just uh, your versatility, You know how they were able to move you from inside to outside uh, throughout the course of your career. What was that adjustment like? Take, give, give fans uh, kind of insight into what it takes to make that move when you're an outside corner and now you're going to play uh, You know that nickel, that star position on the inside. Right. Um, you know, pretty much having to mature and, 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 you know, wanting to take on that bigger role, you know, and with that comes, you know, a lot more communication and, and knowledge of the defense um, of the game as well. And, um, you know, just, just pretty much wanting to take that bigger step and, and, and being mature to, you know, kind of take on that extra role to, you know, contribute to the defense and the team as well. So you go down to the Senior Bowl uh, in Mobile, Alabama last month. What was that experience like? What did you get out of it? Uh, take us through, you know, just what that whole process was like for you. Yeah, um, it was it was pretty, you know, pretty pretty exciting. You know, um, being able to compete with with some of the best in, in the college football world and in the draft this this year, and um, you know, being able to showcase those skills in, in front of the coaches and, and scouts, um. You know, also taking taking coaching from all angles, you know, to excel my game and, and you know, um, prepare me to be a better player on and off the field. Um, you know, really just, you know, all the interviews and whatnot. It, it was it was pretty much a, you know, a solid, fun week and, um, you know, a pretty busy week and helping everyone that attended to, know, you know, be, be better players on and off the field. Who's the uh, the best receiver you faced that week in practice? You got to pick one guy. It was a, it was a good group overall. Uh, you had some good battles every day. Uh, who was there one guy in particular that stood out to you? I probably say Trayvon Grimes. You sure. know, one day we we went at it. Um, you know, even his former teammate Tony. You know, they they both gave me some great work. But uh, it was it was just that one day. I you know, I me and Trayvon Grimes was was going at it in one on ones for the most part. For fans that haven't seen Trayvon, what is it that he brings? How does his skill set differ from uh, other receivers? Yeah, man, you know, uh, tall, rangy guy. Um, you know, is is gonna work you at the line, get you different looks, and um, you know, physical as well. Pretty much. It. So he was the toughest guy you saw that week. Who was the toughest guy you feel like you saw this past season uh, as a junior at UCF? Who, who was the guy that kind of you know gave you the best work uh, on a Saturday this fall? I'd probably say four from Memphis. Not sure what his name was, but for sure him this past season. Um, you know, Marquez Stevenson from Houston. Um, his, his game was cut short this past season, but, you know, he was for sure uh, the guy 2019 year. But uh, for, for this past season, I'd probably say four from Memphis. Marquez is fast, man. Yeah, he, he's yeah, got yeah. he's got legit speed. And I, I know you saw him a little bit, uh, you know, this past or at the Senior Bowl as well. Um, you know, you the receiver you were talking about before, uh, Calvin Austin uh, from Memphis, number four. What was it about him that stood out to you uh, this past season? You know, really, really just giving me different looks at the line of scrimmage. You know, um, and what, whether it was a, a you know, di- different releases or, or you know, um, getting in and out of his breaks. Know, uh, with different route concepts and whatnot, you know, it definitely, definitely made it a, an exciting game for myself. Take us through a week of preparation for you. When, when you're getting ready to face an opponent, you're getting ready to face Memphis or, or Houston. What go? What does that week look like for you in terms of your prep and your film study and things like that? Right. Um. You know. Um. Whatever. Whatever day. You know. Where. 
whatever day we, we're installing, you know, whether it's, it's first, you know, second down, third down route concept, um, you know, um, paying time, you know, watching film, you're looking at splits, you're looking at receiver demeanor coming off the ball, run a pass, um, you're looking at formations, you know, personnel, um, you know, uh, also situational football, sudden changes and whatnot, what, what route concepts you could be getting at. You know, I like to take notes, um, lots of notes, pen and paper, um, make sure my notes are up to date, uh, have coaches look over them for me, um, and, you know, even watch extra film for my understanding with the coach. So when I am watching, um, you know, extra two hours of film on my own, uh, my notes and, and, and the film is making sense to me for me to understand, uh, the game plan going into that week. So out of film and, and one-on-one coaching. What do you like most about uh, film study? Do you like watching individual players? And you talked about like a guy's demeanor coming off the ball and body language, or do you like the kind of the X and O aspect of studying different route concepts and situational football, the opponent? Right. Um, I definitely, definitely love, love to be a student of the game and, and, you know, um, pay attention to, you know, different formations, uh, gotcha. personnel route concepts that could be, that I could be getting, um, in certain situations. So, you know, um, you, and you can never not want to study your defender, your opponent you're facing that week. So that plays a big role as well. What was the toughest offense to uh, for you to pre- prepare for on a weekly basis in the AAC? I'd probably say any team that, that wanted to, you know, spread us out and, and, and work us with different route concepts. You know, you had Memphis, you had Houston. Uh, you know, you also had Cincinnati. Uh, you know, just those those different route concepts and, and different different receivers bringing different things to the table. What do you feel was the leader uh, of that defense this year for you guys? Um, definitely me and Richie Grant, for sure, definitely. Richie uh, is a guy that obviously earned a lot of accolades down there with you as well, down in Mobile. Uh, give fans a look at it. What does he bring to the table from a you know from an on field standpoint? Right, um, you know he's he's another coach on the field. Um, you know besides Coach Martinez and, and Coach Bell, uh, even Coach Santa, he's on the field. You know. Um, you know, really just leading the defense, whether it's, it's recognizing something we've seen on film that, that could possibly be playing out, uh, you know, in the game. And, um, you know, really just reminding us what to be looking for and paying attention for, um, you know, if someone's wrong, really just, you know, setting them up, getting everything together for, you know, for, for a successful play. Was there uh, one? Was there one specific play uh, that you can kind of think back to your career over the last couple of years uh, where you're like, man, like that's where Richie, the, you know, just him being on top of everything uh, from a mental standpoint and his being a coach on the field uh, where that really kind of came through? Um, For myself, you know, I probably, probably mentioned, you know, whenever we had to face um, a team that wanted to spread us out and, and work us, you know, with uh, with a, with a a certain route concept. Um, I know me and Richie used, we, we got a lot of, uh, you know, drive route concepts. Yep. Um, you know, even, even bunch, bunch formations, uh, recognizing those, those concepts and, and hearing him out there on the field, you know, really reminding myself and maybe a corner or, you know, whoever else that on the field with us that we could be getting this. So, who's the best player going back to UCF next year that, that we need to know about right now? The best player overall. Overall, I I I probably say Jalen Robinson is definitely gonna have a another breakout year. You know he's 
he got his feet wet last season. Yep. You know, first year getting back into it, but uh, he had a he had a phenomenal year. So you know, I I feel like he's he's gonna take a bigger role and, and you know kind of excel and you know show show what he what he has at stake. Was there a, a moment where, where you saw him in practice and you were like, man, like, all right, like this, this kid's like, you know, everything we heard about him is legit. Like this guy's the real deal. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, I love competing in one-on-ones against him, you know, what, uh, and you know, him, whether it was him working me in the, on the outside or the inside, um, you know, he, he's, he's one of those guys that's, that's definitely going to go 110. Uh, with who, wherever he's lining up or whoever he's competing against, uh, and he definitely worked me and showed me that I had to stay on, stay on top of my game and practice, uh, and you know, molded me into the player I am, helped mold me into the player I am today. Uh, is there a guy for UCF this year, you know, coming up next year that you know maybe we don't know about now, but a year from now we're all gonna know a guy that's kind of uh, taking that next step? Yeah, man, for sure. Um, I could mention a couple, you sure, know, let's hear Corey, it. Corey Thornton, um, for sure, you know, um, Justin Hodges, Devontae Brown, those all, you know, defensive freshmen that had to play last year and step up for us yep. on the outside plant corner. And then, you know, you also have on the offense, I'd probably say our running backs, you got Goody, you got uh, Richardson back there. Uh, you know, those guys are definitely be trying to step up this year and help contribute to the thing. And then the last question I've got for Aaron, just uh, what did you guys miss in Tay Gowan this year? You know, obviously he opted out, um, you know, for reasons, obviously, with, with everything going on with COVID-19. But uh, for fans who have not seen Tay play, uh, really talented player, uh, what is it that he brings to the field uh, and to, to help his future NFL team? Right. Um, you know, Tay Gowan is one of those guys that's, that's very passionate about the game and um, – you know he has his reasons on on why he why he plays his wise, and um you know he's very passionate and, and willing to go out there and contribute best way he can. Also, you know like myself, be a be a student of the game and and you know take coaching points from every angle um to help you know himself be successful as he could on the field. So definitely a player worth you know coaching and molding into a great one. Well, Aaron, this has been great catching up with you. Uh, you've got a, a crazy next couple of months. Real quick, I guess, before we let you go, now that the senior bowl is in the rearview mirror, oh, what's next for you? What's going on every single day uh, in your pre-draft process now? Right, man. Uh, you know, just taking the same approach day by day, Um, you know, really just just training, you know, whether it's for, for pro day or, um, you know, any, any just in general, you know, wanting want them. Want to feed the body, uh, make sure the body is healthy as possible. Um, you know, just working hard, man, day in and day out. You know, uh, being a student of the game on the board, you know, watching more film, and, and you know, really just learning how to be a pro off the field uh, as well as on the field. Well, man, it, it's going to be a uh, a crazy pre-draft process for you. Obviously, it's going to be a unique year uh, for all you guys, just with everything going on around the world. But uh, best of luck to you moving forward. You know, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, hope to talk to you soon, man. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. 
I hope you guys liked hearing there from uh, Aaron Robinson. Great info. We covered a lot uh, in that conversation. Aaron Robinson uh, has been in some mock drafts. I know uh, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network uh, had him in his first mock draft towards the end of round one. Uh, we'll see uh, ultimately where he's kind of projected. But uh, whether it's round two, round you know round one, round two, uh, he's certainly going to be one of the first corners off the board here this spring. Let's get to a couple of questions from you guys. Uh, we're going to start things off with CMart923. He left a five-star review. I just left you know some kind words about the show and answering fan questions and got to his question. He said, I wanted to ask you if you what you think about picking a wide receiver at number six and if that would be a mistake. I know the Eagles haven't particularly drafted well at the position, but so many productive wide receivers have come out of day two or even later in some in uh, recent years, it seems like a corner, it's not only a higher value position, but also one that's harder to find elite talent. Also, the Eagles have wide receivers on the roster with some upside. You'd look at Travis Fulgham and Jalen Rager and Hightower, Quez Watkins, but you'd argue that there are no promising outside corners to fill the hole opposite Darius Slay. Whether they make the pick at six or trade down, do you agree that corner is not only a bigger need, but also much harder to hit on outside of round one. Chris, this is an awesome, awesome question, and it's one that a lot of smart people have really good debates about. You know, When you talk about the value of a wide receiver versus the value of a corner, I think it is a layered conversation because you almost have to – the way I almost look at it is kind of what you're saying, that the top-end corner is harder to find than the top-end wide receiver, but as you've moved further down as a – good number two receiver worth more than a good number two corner is a third receiver worth more than a third corner I think that's where you know the, those conversations start to get even heavier it's a it's a really fun one uh, and look I think you can make the argument either way right because when you look uh, at who the top corners are in the NFL you know right now large large majority of them First round picks, right? Jalen Ramsey, Tredavious White, Jair Alexander, Stephon Gilmore, Marlon Humphrey, Marshawn Latimer, literally going down the list. Byron Jones, Patrick Peterson, Denzel Ward. You keep going. All these guys, for the most part, Kyle Fuller, first round picks, right? But then you go over to wide receiver and you say, okay, you know, there's the the, the elite players, the Julio Jones, the DeAndre Hopkins. Those guys were first round picks. But then you go a little bit further than that. You start to peel it back a little bit. You go DK Metcalf went end of round two. Tyree Kill went on day three. Stephon Diggs went on day three. Devontae Adams late day two. Keenan Allen late day two. Uh, Allen Robinson went on day two. Adam Thielen went undrafted. Um, I think that there is a, it's a very interesting conversation, and it's not a black and white thing because uh, you know there's obviously extenuating circumstances with all of these players. At the end of the day, it really comes down to uh, how your team is currently built how you want to play offense because you're going to, that's going to you know change things in terms of how you value the wide receiver position. Do you value guys that can make plays with the ball in their hands because we're going to get them the ball in place in space, or are you uh, going to be more? Hey, look, we're going to run a lot of isolation routes. We need you to get open. We need you to get from A to B at this point. So we need you to be crisp, getting off the line of scrimmage and getting separation at the top of routes. What no matter which way you you slice it. It's a great conversation. Obviously, I, you know, it, I think it's uh, time and you know it's uh, been proven over the last few years. Great offense typically will win out over great defense. Now, look at the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was a little bit different, right? You, know, you look at the Bucks. Uh, that defensive line, what they were able to do against this Chiefs offensive line, that kind of changed the equation a little bit. And that's why football is my favorite sport. It's why it's uh, a huge, huge passion of mine. And it's why I got into the field that I'm in because it's such a fun discussion to be able to have on a consistent basis. And people are generating new opinions all the time on the subject. That being said, getting back to your initial question, 
if you're looking at the two, let's just say the two or three top receivers in this draft, right? You look at Jamar Chase, you look at Devontae Smith, you look at Jalen Waddell, and then you look at two of the top corners. I think you look at uh, Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan Jr. All five of those guys are blue chip players. All five of those guys are great, great talents. They're just going to bring different things to the table. So it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It depends on how you want to play. And when you drop that guy in to your into the formula that you've built into this locker room, now you've got to decide how, what's the impact they're going to have on your team. What's the value that Patrick Sertan has opposite, you know, you, if you want to use the Eagles as an example, what does Patrick Sertan do next to Darius Slay? Does that make Darius Slay a better player? Because now uh, it's not that people can just stay away from Darius Slay. Now you've got a, a top five pick, a top ten pick at the cornerback position opposite him. You look at the wide receiver position. How does that help the quarterback? How does that help the defense? How does that help the run game? I think it's a, a really fun conversation. I don't know if I'm quite ready at this point to be able to say, oh yeah, this, this is exactly how I feel about it in terms of this specific draft class, but I love that. It's a, th- a great thought-provoking conversation, and I'm really glad that you asked it. Uh, it's a great, great question, Chris, and thanks so much, and I hope that I was able to answer it uh, to your liking. Let's get to one more here. D Jansen 22 left a five-star review saying, always looking forward to the podcast, was wondering if you could list the game-changing, team-changing, blue-chip players in this draft and rate them as if you were making the board for best player available. Who's number one until you feel that there are great players, but maybe not game-changing picks? And I don't know that I, you know, just because I'm a one-man scouting department, if you want to use that term, I don't know if I, I would use that term, but you know, I know uh, our friend Ben uh, loves referring to me in that way. Look, I think when you look at uh, all of these players, you know, so much of it, when you start to looking at the talent aspect of it that are the delineating factors, it has to do with the off-field, and that's the information we don't have. And so the way I'm looking at it, I can stack them any way I want. And you know, Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, Daniel Jeremiah, Dane Brugler, we go right down the list. All these guys can stack them any way we want. But at the end of the day, we don't have all of the information that teams have. And that's what ultimately is going to separate uh, you know, the, these players from, hey, this guy is a true impact player to he's just a good player, he's a solid player, he's a below-average player. Uh, the, the, great, the great quote that I've cited numerous times here on the show is that talent sets the floor and character sets the ceiling. I know that's been attributed uh, to Bill Belichick. I don't know if he originated that or if he uh, parroted that from somebody, but I love that quote. I think it's really, really applicable uh, to every single year in the NFL draft. But I think when you're looking around at all, who are the blue-chip players at every position – you, know, you look at the the Russell Wilsons and the Aaron Rodgers and the uh, the DeAndre Hopkins and the Teron Armsteads and the Aaron Donalds and Joey Bosa's and Jalen Ramsey's. All these guys are fanatics in the way that they approach the game, the way that they attack preparation and attack practice and getting better during the offseason. A lot of that stuff we don't necessarily, especially at this stage for me, you know, we have, there's so much time now from uh, from here until the draft. I want to get a better sense of what these guys are as people, how they do during the interview process, uh, and that will kind of uh, further you know allow those to, you know, those opinions for myself uh, to evolve. At this point, I don't know that I could sit here and say, "Yep, this is these are the best players," uh, you know, on the board, and, and say that with certainty. But I'll say I'll tell you that that is the delineating factor for me in terms of who is the the who's got the ability to be a true NFL star. If you, it's not just the ability, it's how they interview to try and prove themselves that, yeah, I'm going to put the work in to reach my ceiling. You know, there are a lot of guys that we've talked about, you know, like Jason Owe, right, from Penn State. This guy's got every trait in the book. He's got everything you want. Jamar Chase from, from uh, the wide receiver from LSU. Penny Sewell from Oregon, right? You look at all these guys, all of them have great traits, but how do you reach that? How do you get the most out of those traits? That's what teams are trying to figure out is, is this guy going to put the work in to get the most 
out of his body, out of the tools that he is given. I think that that's, uh, that's what teams ultimately are trying to find out, and that's the, what determines whether a guy uh, works out or if he doesn't work out is going to be those intangibles. And so that's a long way for me to say that, number one, I can't quite answer that yet with certainty, and number two, it's tough for me to do uh, at, at this stage. And it's really, but it's a, it's a fun conversation. It's a topic that uh, that I love uh, covering, and it's one of my favorite parts about the entire pre-draft process. So, uh, great question there from both you guys, from Chris uh, and from D. Jansen. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this week's episodes here of the Journey to the Draft podcast. We covered a lot, a lot of guests here every single week here on the show. We've got two more episodes coming next week. A lot more uh, analysis and reaction to everything going on. We've got uh, Trevor Lawrence's quote-unquote pro day at the end of this week. We'll cover that early next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.